0: This podcast, Czech-German Perspectives, is brought to you by Czech-German Young Professionals Program. To find out more and have access to other episodes, please go to the website cgypp.eu. The request of hundreds of thousands Belarusians who went to the streets in the summer of 2020 was not met. Alexander Lukashenko did not go away. Backed by Russia, he managed to stay in power and suppress the protests against the flawed presidential elections and persecution of his political opponents. Ten people died or were killed in the connection with the protests. Thousands were imprisoned and put on a terrorist list thousands left the country two years after the elections the position of Lukashenko, the head of the state since 1994 seems to be stabilized despite heavy sanctions imposed on belarus last but not least for its alliance with russia and its invasion to ukraine what is the legacy of the protests how Have they changed the country? And what message do they carry about the resilience of civil society in an authoritarian, autocratic state? How do Belarusians in favor of changes deal with their life after the events of 2020? Those who stayed in the country and those who left. Do Belarusians live in an independent country? And how can popular political means against Lukashenko or diverse actions against Russian army contribute to a political change in Belarus. I will discuss these questions with Belarusian political analyst Artur Schreibman. Thank you for joining us from Poland, Mr. Schreibman. Thank you. This is Galina Yurchenia from Czech-German Young Professionals Program 2022 Czech Republic. Mr. Shradman, we have just heard an excerpt from the song Krimen, Changes, by Soviet songwriter Tsoi. This song became one of the symbols of the request of masses for changes in Belarus. Are the ideas of summer 2020 in the country defeated, with thousands of Belarusians in exile, with many citizens persecuted in the country? Did the regime of Alexander Lukashenko win the contest for political power in Belarus?
1: Well, technically speaking, it did win uh, the contest for political power, as you put it. It doesn't mean, though, that the movement itself has um, vanished to exist. What we've seen, for example, on February 27th, where there was a referendum in Belarus and the war between Russia and Ukraine just started three days ago and Russia attacked Ukraine from the Belarusian territory as well. You've seen some very sudden, spontaneous spike of protests within the country, within Belarus. Uh, Nobody expected them to be this uh, sort of widespread uh, because dozens of towns and cities saw people arrested. Uh, We don't have even the proper video and photos from this protest because many of the independent media, if not all of them, were shut down. But uh, the number of people who were detained is about one south on one day. And it shows you that uh, the... Protest moods are still there in the society, and they have not been, you know, dismantled or or nullified by the wave of repressions that followed 2020. At the same time, uh, politically, of course, Lukashenko's regime has prevailed. It is obvious, and the international support from Russia that it get was all, that it got was also instrumental in terms of uh, solidifying, consolidating the regime against the uh, decentralized and rather peaceful uh, protest. At the same time, historically, we need, we know many examples of revolutions that came into waves. It's like the Polish Revolution of uh, 1980s with the first uprising of Solidarność in early 80s and then the martial law being introduced and then another wave in the late 80s. And the same happened with Russian history where there was a first not so successful revolution in 1905 and then several years of uh, reforms and crackdowns, and then another uh, round of revolution. So, uh, it may well turn out that the recent events of 2020 were, were just the first set, just the first time uh, in this long match, and it did not leave the feeling of the ended
0: story. Thank you for such a detailed answer. Let's move to another question. The unprecedented wave of long-term peaceful mass protests in 2020 surprised not only the regime, but many political experts as well. Where did the energy of the protests come from compared to the previous protests in 2006 and 2010?
1: Well, the energy came from the uh, combination of several factors. It's never, it's never one cause that causes such things. It's, it's usually a combination. One part of it was several years of relatively soft uh, domestic policies of the regime. So the repressions were not that high. Uh, The civil society was able to develop to to mushroom uh, within the uh, Belarusian borders. Uh, And um, you've seen uh, actually quite quite an impressive development of Belarusian independent media. And all of this gave people a sense that the protests are not actually something that is very severely punishable. So it it, it lifted the unwritten taboo from this uh, subject. Then there was a COVID pandemic that just started in 2020 and Belarusian authorities mishandled it uh, horribly, especially in terms of their communication. Uh, Lukashenko downplayed the dangers of the virus and he did not seem serious about supporting Belarusian society and Belarusian economy. Then there was a very a, an array of very inspiring candidates during the elections. Uh, Mr. Babarika, Mr. Tsavkala, Mr. Tsikhanovsky, then wives of these two gentlemen and the campaign manager of the third one. Uh, all of this sort of attracted way more people, new people into politics. However, what was the most important trigger of the protest? it was the violence. The violence uh, that, with which regime has, fa- has met the first wave and the repressions that followed the first post-electoral protests, the tortures in the prison detention centers, uh, have, have become a moment of no return for many Belarusians.
0: How relevant is the European Union for Belarusian people? When we compare the protests in Belarus in 2020 with the so-called Maidan revolution of 2014 in Ukraine, we could barely see EU flags in the streets of Belarusian cities. Why?
1: Geopolitics was not an issue during this protest. It was an uh, entirely domestically driven uh, agenda. And uh, what is even more important, uh, Belarusians, uh, Every poll you take shows that Belarusians do not support being part of the EU. Only a minority of Belarusians want to be part of the EU. Uh, Even if, uh, in terms of the values, uh, Belarusian protests of 2020 can be called a pro-democratic and therefore um, being for European values, like rule of law, free elections, and so on and so forth. Uh, The geopolitical alignment is a different thing. And Belarusians here favor far more Neutral, non-aligned options than to be part of any any kind of bloc. <laughs>
0: Popular music band Neverband published a song called In Inshimi just before the elections in 2020, where they sing We Will Wake Up Different. Mr. Shradman, how have the events since the presidential elections changed Belarus and Belarusian society?
1: It's a very deep and broad question. Uh, Belarusian society uh, experienced a huge trauma and pain after what happened in 2020, 2021, and on the summer of 2022. Domestically, there was a wave of unprecedented and unwavering repression. Uh, there were some waves, of course, of this process, but generally speaking, Belarusian society have not seen any kind of liberalization of domestic thaw in the previous um, two years. And this, of course, tra- traumatizes people. Families get separated because some people have to leave the country. Some people, I mean, thousands of people got jailed because of this. It is very hard for people to adapt to this never-ending atmosphere of fear. Society was also polarized. As we see, uh, there is a sizable part of the society that supports Belarusian authorities. And you see a very deep polarization between the supporters of change. And this polarization has been growing since 2020, but it continues to grow till this day. Some experts describe it as the Cold Civil War, uh, this Mm -hmm. this state of affairs. I would say say that it's very fair.
0: According to the regime theory, authoritarian systems are very fragile because of weak legitimacy, over-centralization of decision-making or predominance of personal power over institutional norms. We can observe all these features in the political system in Belarus Ever since, Lukashenko became president in 1994. However, his regime is still viable and in power. What does make it so resilient?
1: Well, it's always hard to say retrospectively what, was, what exactly was missing. And there is only that much that peaceful protest can achieve against the armed regime that is ready to use violence and force uh, to, to any necessary degree. I think that the key strength of this regime, if if you would like to put it this way, is of course its monolithic nature. For every separate official, bureaucrat, general in the system, it was always far more risky to think about defections and departure and resignations than to just keep on working and doing their job. And also by gaining Russia's support, uh, Lukashenko was able to psychologically at least convince people in the top positions, whose loyalty is always crucial to the stability of the regime, that the regime will stand no matter what. And this conviction uh, of these people that there, no, no matter what they personally will do, the regime will remain, uh, made many of them just sit quietly. And that what was necessary to wait out the... Um, culmination of the protest movement. And then the protest just basically was gradually suppressed by a growing uh, repression, which is very natural because people cannot go to the same uh, square every week uh, for years without getting the results uh, while the risks are growing every week.
0: Our own uprising for freedom started in 2020 and continues to this day as we fight not only for the freedom of Belarus, but also for the freedom of Ukraine. We realize that the fates of Belarusian and Ukrainian people are strongly interconnected. Belarusians don't support the war and they don't want to sacrifice their independence. You had to leave Belarus in 2021. So let's talk a little bit about Belarusian exile. The presidential candidate, Svetlana Tsikhanouskaya, has been traveling and meeting leading politicians of the West since almost two years. The Belarusian opposition movement has an office in Lithuania as an alternative to the embassy of the Republic of Belarus. The opening of a similar office in the Czech Republic is being discussed. How can the activities of democratic movement in exile affect the situation in Belarus and weaken the ruling regime?
1: Uh, the political forces in exile have only a limited space space for maneuver. They are not present in domestic politics because domestic politics is non-existent. Uh, And that is why what they are left with is basically international diplomacy. Uh, So what they can achieve is um, attracting attention, global attention, international attention to the issue of Belarus uh, and lobbying for various kinds of policies of international stakeholders vis-a-vis Belarus. In their case, this is lobbying for sanctions. Uh, They also can try to establish parallel civil uh, structures, parallel to state ones, as you've mentioned, uh, parallel embassies, representations. This is what they can do. Does it mean that this is enough to topple the regime from the outside? No, I don't think so. I think that the regime will uh, be defeated ultimately Um, with the help of more fundamental factors like the economy, like the outcome of the Russia-Ukrainian war, uh, and and so on and so forth. The opposition in exile can now basically, domestically, they can just wait for a new window of opportunity to open.
0: Let's continue the topic of exile, but uh, from a little bit other perspective. The independent media in Belarus is banned, including the biggest news portal on the internet, tutu.by, where you used to publish your analysis and podcasts. Same as many other media labeled as terrorists by the government, tutu.by works from abroad under the name zerkala.io. Do the Belarusian media from abroad reach the audience in Belarus?
1: Uh, Yes, but the audience is, of course, smaller than it was uh, when the media were able to operate uh, in in the country. And there are two reasons for it. First, uh, the media are blocked. So to reach them, the audience needs to either install VPN or to use their social media platforms like on Telegram or Facebook or YouTube. And not all the people are on social media. Um, then people are sometimes afraid to read some of those uh, media or to share their content to each other. And this also limits the outreach of the publications. And then finally, there is a even deeper uh, development in the Belarusian society, which is its depoliticization. People are becoming less and less politically engaged, which is a natural uh, emotional response to uh, having failed in 2020. And that is why people, media face shrinking audiences, not just because of what government does, but because of the audience preferences changing. Uh, and needless to say, media in exile cannot publish as many reporting from the ground as they could when they were on the ground. And that also limits the uh, the spectrum of topics that they can uh, raise, that they can cover, um, and that is why most of the media in exile have become uh, clearly political. So they are covering politics, uh, I mean, explicitly, bravely, openly, fairly, but then what they're missing is various uh, local problems, uh, various, I don't know, construction problems and, and 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 issues that way more people care about. Still, if you look at the figures, uh, the state media failed to win the audiences of uh, independent media online. Uh, so these audiences just went elsewhere to media that are non-political, to some of the Russian media, to social media and various aggregators, uh, but not to the state media. They would have attacked our troops, Belarus and Russia, who were on the train. So not we would have this war. Our the is pure. What do you There are
0: not many waves left to express criticism against the government and its policies in Belarus. However, there has been a wave of political memes ridiculing Mr. Lukashenko or attacks by cyber-partisans on the power structures. Mr. Schreibmann, How effective are these instruments of peaceful resistance and how can they contribute to a political change?
1: They keep Belarusian regime on alert. Mm -hmm. Uh, Belarusian authorities cannot uh, sort of breathe easy and cannot do business as usual with uh, the international community and also domestically. So they are constantly worried about a new potential spike of protests. of repression. the government creates way more enemies for itself uh, for the future. Um, I think that's pretty much it. To displace such a uh, consolidated authoritarian regime, uh, you would need much more than this online guerrilla warfare.
0: The name of the main boulevard in Minsk is Independent Avenue. In one of your podcasts, Mr. Schreiber, you rejected to call Belarus an occupied country despite the presence of Russian military units and despite the fact that Belarus allowed them to attack Ukraine from its territory without joining the invasion with its own army. If the country is not occupied, how independent and sovereign is it?
1: It's a very good question because uh, I, as an international lawyer by my education, tend to view terms like occupation uh, legalistically, so to say. I cannot name a country occupied until it is not. It doesn't have its own uh, governance structure. Belarusian government still exists. Uh, it it might be less legitimate than it was several years ago. It might be in a very deep dependency on 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 Moscow. It might have even ceded some parts of sovereignty to Russia with military sovereignty. At the same time, uh, occupation is a very strong word to describe it because history knows many examples when countries were giving their territory to the empires, neighboring empires for their troops movements. When the Czech Republic and Czechoslovakia uprising was, for example, uh, you know, crushed by the Soviets in 1968, Uh, the troops also passed through Poland and and if I'm not mistaken Polish army even joined some Polish units even joined this uh, crackdown Um, nobody calls Poland an occupied country actually Uh, even the socialist communist Poland still it was called by a different term a satellite state or a vessel state Uh, and this would be the right description for, for Belarus as well this is now a satellite state a satellite regime or a vassal regime of, of Moscow, but the country itself is not under Russian military control. Uh, Russian military can use Belarusian territory as the passing, a sort of corridor, uh, but it is it is not the same as installing your military o- administration as Russia did in Kherson or uh, Donbas or elsewhere. Uh, that is why Belarus, of course, when get into your question, Belarus's sovereignty is of course suffering. Uh, And it is of course limited, and uh, if you can measure independence as some kind of a spectrum, uh, Belarus has has been moving on the spectrum from a point of full autonomy and full independence to a point of full dependency and full subjugation. But we are not still there. It is dynamic the dynamic process. This is a movement, and since we are not at the final destination point. Uh, I believe that this is reversible uh, and I believe that this is not as dramatic as some uh, commentators suggest.
0: As of today, the 22nd of June, 2022, the Belarusian army allegedly refused to join Russian military campaign on the territory of Ukraine. They have been news about diverse actions against the railroads transporting Russian military equipment. Mr. Schramm, how strong is the inner resistance at the power structures of the regime, and under what circumstances would the security structures stand against the government?
1: If I'm perfectly honest, I don't have any evidence that the Russian uh, military rejected any kind of orders or refused to implement any orders uh, to go over to Ukraine. These are the rumors, uh, unverified rumors with zero evidence, uh, and that is why. I would rather not speculate about the actual state of affairs in, in their readiness to, you know, go to Ukraine or not. We don't know this. What we do know is that the Belarusian society is uh, overwhelmingly, with there is a consensus on Belarusian society when it comes to participation of Belarusian troops in the war in Ukraine, uh, meaning that Belarusians reject it. But I do think that still... Belarus, for Belarusian security officials, generals, army commanders, it will be way easier to ignore the order or to get dismissed themselves, retire, resign, than to directly oppose the regime. Uh, I, I would expect more uh, defections and, and resignations rather than uh, some kind of a coup from Belarusian rather cowardly um, leaders of security agencies.
0: And the last question. How likely are mass protests against the regime in Belarus in the near future? How could the window of opportunity look like? Under what circumstances could the people believe that going to the streets would lead to a political change?
1: It's a very hard question. I think that the, the there are three components for any window of opportunity. Uh, and those three components are firstly the level of fear. If there is a lot of fear in the society, and then of course the protests are less like. The, the, the second element is the, the strength of the emotional trigger. So, how frustrated, how uh, angry people are. Uh, currently, uh, there are no strong emotional triggers on the horizon. Uh, but if Belarus decides to join the war, it might be one of them or if Belarusian economic, economic crisis becomes too unbearable, or uh, it becomes too sharp for many people to tolerate. Uh, then there is a third element, is a hope, hope that protests may help. And this is also currently missing in Belarusian society. So and, uh, until either all of these three components appear, emerge, or any one of them becomes so strong that it outweighs the absence of the other ones, uh, we cannot speak of the uh, potential for a large protest movement. Still, I think that the economic situation and the crisis that is lo- looming in the country because of sanctions, because of uh, the slowdown of Russian economy, may cause some local uh, protest uh, developments, so to say, or instances or occasions. And depending on how government will choose to react on them, there might be various scenarios of domestic destabilization. Uh, at the same time, I would suggest that it is rather likely then that Lukashenko regime will be changed from inside, meaning that he will initiate some transition processes that he, will not, he would not be able to control. Then he would be crushed by a new wave of protests. I would bet on the change from within the system rather than change from the street.
0: Mr. Schreiber, thank you very much for the interview. Thank you. This podcast, Czech-German Perspectives, is brought to you by Czech-German Young Professionals Programme. To find out more and have access to another episodes, please go to the website cdypp.eu.